Welcome to the Virtual Pharmacopedia Podcast, your source for pharmacy news, updates, and more. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Virtual Pharmacopedia Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Ed. And we're very happy to have you here today. We will let you all know that Beard Hall is currently undergoing some cosmetic changes, so please excuse any noises you might hear that sounds like a jackhammer is above us, because chances are there is. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Suzanne Harris. Dr. Harris is a clinical pharmacy specialist in psychiatry at UNC Medical Center. She is also an assistant professor in the Division of Practice Advancement and Clinical Education at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. Many of you may know her from your pathophysiology and pharmacotherapy courses, where she covers psychiatric disorders such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. So uh, thanks so much for coming in and speaking with us, Dr. Harris. So just to get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So um, as Michelle already said, I'm a faculty member in our PACE division, so our practice advancement in clinical education. I'm also a clinical specialist in psychiatry. Um, Over my career, I've practiced both on the inpatient side as well as the outpatient side. I started off on the inpatient side. I've worked in the um, tertiary academic centers like UNC, as well as the state psychiatric hospital, but I've now transitioned to more ambulatory care. So I'm with one of the psychiatry clinics through UNC Medical Center. Um, I graduated from the University of Texas in Austin, and I did a residency in psychiatry, and then I've been in North Carolina since. Nice. Well, we want to know what made you interested in the field of psychiatry? Yeah. Um, when I was In undergrad even, so even before pharmacy school, I had considered doing a psychology major, but I I didn't. But I think even then I had an interest in brain disorders and the mind and the, you know, what goes on in our brain and how does that affect our emotions. But I didn't pursue that. But when I went, I did get into pharmacy school. I had a wonderful mentor for my research project who was one of our psychiatric faculty and actually a forefounder for psychiatric pharmacy in Texas. Um, and then as I started getting into the coursework, I really enjoyed, especially the pharmacology of the medications. We really don't know what's going on in the brain, but I loved learning about receptors and receptor targets and that our medications can be effective to some degree. And, and just the fact that psychiatry, I think, is not black and white. There's a lot of gray. Um, I just felt that there was um, a, a, an interesting role for the pharmacist to, if you really understand the ph- pharmacology of the medication, I felt we can play um, an integral role in helping to select and modify medications based and rooted on pharmacology and understanding of that. So I think that was my first um, developed interest in school. But then when I went on clinical rotations, that was my first time to have direct exposure to working with this patient population. Um, And in there, that's where I really, I had a great role model in my preceptor at the time. And that's the first time I think I realized how patients and family members have a lot of stigma around taking medications for psychiatric disorders or even stigma around admitting they have a psychiatric disorder. And the role that my pharmacist played, my preceptor played in um, just educating the patients and their family members about what it is to take medications for mental illness. It's not any different than taking medications for hypertension. Your brain is an organ, your heart's an organ. And when you have um, you know, heart disease, you take blood pressure medications. When you have brain disease, you might have to take medications to keep your brain healthy. And so I think I'd never really heard it that way until my rotations. And um, that just really inspired me to continue to want to work with this patient population. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's like a really unique perspective. And I feel like that's like, honestly, like a lot of people don't really think about it like that, but like, it makes so much sense. 
Mm-hmm. Would you say all those positive experiences with your mentors, both in school and rotation, kind of helped you also want to pursue a career in academia to help educate future pharmacists with that knowledge as well? Yes, to some degree. I, definitely my mentor for my research project, um, he was um, a clinician initially in his training, and then he transitioned into academia, both as a preceptor and then as a faculty member. And when I was doing my research project with him, I didn't necessarily think that was still going to be my career path, but he has been an instrumental um, person in my in my professional life. I think when I went into my residency, um, I had the opportunity to co-precept, I had an opportunity to write a case and facilitate in what was their patient care lab with the school that was affiliated with my residency um, so I think that gave me another exposure of kind of thinking about what this could look like to balance practice and 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 um, school or um, faculty side. And then in my the first position that I took after residency, it just so happened to be co-funded um, between the university uh, medical center and the school. Um, it wasn't necessarily I was pursuing something like that. It just in some ways just sort of was happenstance. Um, but in that first position, even though I was mostly working as a clinician, I was responsible for um, coordinating the psychiatry module in the in the legacy curriculum. And I also started doing some of the experiential work um, with the fourth year students, which is what I do now. And I think I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy those pieces, the acad- more of the academia pieces. So as my career progressed, I transitioned more to being a school-based faculty. But I still think it's important to maintain a practice, which is why I still do that. That's awesome. That's I feel like that's like really cool career path. Um, earlier, you said that, you know, many psychiatric disorders, they're not black and white. And that's what makes them mm-hmm. so, so interesting. Um, they're not completely understood. And I feel like sometimes uh, the brain is often considered the final frontier of medicine. So what are your thoughts on that? I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that in the sense that when you think about Final Frontier, I think of, well, first I think of Star Trek, but <laughs> I also think about, you know, the, you know, the least explored or the least developed. And I do think in the area of medicine, um, the understandings of the brain and the mind um, are, there's more unknown than there is known, unfortunately. Um, it's just such an intricate, you know, part of our body, and it's got a, it's a complex network. And even though I think that we have better understanding of the neurochemical processes of the brain and how neurons are talking to each other, I still think that there's a lot to be discovered around how does that lead to emotions and perception and mood and thoughts and so forth. And so, but I, I think that Um, Or I do believe that there have been great strides in um, learning more about how a normal brain functions and then on the flip side, understanding how when you have a brain disorder, what that malfunction is. And so I do think in the next several decades, um, keeping my fingers crossed, that we will have great advancements because we'll have better targets, because we'll have better understanding of those more of the neuropathophysiology behind these diseases. (laughs) Sorry. Yes. No. Um, Well, you mentioned this earlier as well, and we were just wondering if you could elaborate more on what skills uh, can pharmacists bring to the table when caring for patients in this population? Right. I think the unique um, the unique part of my job or a pharmacist working in with psychiatric patients I think I, I kind of alluded to this already. I think if we have can have a we are the drug experts in really understanding the. Um, 
understanding deeply the pharmacology of psychiatric medications and how receptors and targets can influence selection of medications to better target residual symptoms, but also how to avoid side effects. Because that's kind of the key with a lot of our medications. They're equally effective. There's no algorithm that says exactly step one, step two, step three. Um, So I think if we can have that deeper understanding more so than our other healthcare members on the team, um, that's a role that we can play. Um, I also think that as pharmacists, we, all pharmacists generally um, are really good about thinking about the patient as a whole. So not just sort of the brain itself, but what are other factors that can be affecting the brain? So I think about, um, we also talk, we teach you guys a lot about thinking about non-pharmacologic approaches, and that's the same for mental health too. And I think a lot of times it's pharmacists at the table that are thinking about what are things that connect the, the brain and the body. So when we think about how behaviors like exercise, good sleep, um, relationships, good coping mechanisms, how all that impacts and shapes our mind and our thoughts. Um, At the same time, things like recommending pharmacotherapy in addition to like mindfulness practices or CBT, those are ways that we, the brain influences behavior. Um, So I think I think a lot of times we're, we're not just thinking just about the medications, but how the medications work really well with other non-pharmacologic strategies. And this is just as important, I think, with mental health diseases as well. Yeah, those are some really thoughtful considerations. Uh, we'll definitely be including those on our next consult notes that we write. <laughs> and I really do appreciate that when looking into how to treat uh, this population, you have to both look at, yes, the medication, but also what other like non-pharmacologic things that you can do to help them. Um, And I I just really appreciate that because I know some people might be hesitant about starting more medications Mm -hmm. or titrating their doses and all those side effects that you mentioned. Next, we know that you're also involved in research. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, what research are you currently involved in? I have a mix or I try to get involved in, first of all, research that I'm really passionate about because I think for me, it's it's part of my, it's one part of my job that I ha- I work harder at. I have to work harder at because I, um, it just doesn't necessarily come naturally to me, but I understand the importance of it, especially in academia. Um, so I want to, when I consider um, taking on a project or working with others within a project, it generally is within the realm of psychiatry or mental health because that's actually where my passion is. Um, but I have a mix of projects that I work with, others that are patient care related, as well as a mix of projects that are more educational research. So for some of the patient care research projects that I'm involved with, um, I've worked with counterpart- my counterparts and colleagues across the street at UNC Medical Center, and we'll look at things around Uh, medication-related factors that might influence high utilization for mental health resources, like the ED or so forth. Um, We also look at transitions of care services provided by pharmacists to psychiatric patients and if that improves outcomes. Um, I'm currently just recently joined on a project as more as an advisor for a resident project, and they're looking at um, discontinuation of antipsychotics for delirium in ICU patients. So, um, so kind of taking more of a collaborative advisor role, but not like the direct, you know, PI. And on the educational research projects, in the last several years, I've become more interested in looking at um, barriers, mental health, stigma in our profession, both in pharmacists and students. And more recently, even looking at how um, a couple of studies that I'm doing um, with some of the other faculty members here on how physical health and mental health and personal health, so things like burnout and work-life balance, how they're all interrelated. And our hopes is that the findings from these studies can help inform like employers as well as schools of pharmacy to better target interventions to address these needs and not just students, but also staff and faculty and preceptors as well. So, you know, there's always 
new research being conducted and advancements being made in the field of medicine as you're contributing mm-hmm. to. Uh, so in your opinion, what's one new exciting <laughs> development that's been made in the field of psychiatric medicine? Yeah, this is good timing for this podcast because um, I, I would say that we, even though we'll have novel developments in um, psychiatry, I would say in the ma- in the last several years, a lot of times it's it's many Me Too drugs. So there might be another antipsychotic, but the primary mechanism is the same as all the other antipsychotics, but a twist in one receptor profile or another. But last week there was um, a breakthrough. The FDA approved a new medication called esketamine, which is a nasal spray antidepressant, but it's the first. Um, treatment for depression in the last 30 years that offers a novel mechanism different than our traditional medications that can take four to six weeks to work. Um, there will be, it's it's so new, there's still a lot of barriers, I think, and, um, and it's applica- applicability to practice. Um, but I think it's exciting just because there has been a lull in the different targets of our medications. And this is the first to really um, try a different mechanism and be successful in that. I'm actually, I'm really happy you mentioned that. I was hoping you would because we actually talked about that in class and we were saying, well, we hope that, you know, maybe some intranasal spray or just like some development for uh, drug resistant depression. Depression. I was like, what? why can I think of the word? Um, and so that came out like perfect timing, like right after we had that lecture, they came out. So I thought that was really interesting. In your opinion, what are some aspects of psychiatric medicine that need to undergo changes? I mean, I think what need I think we do need more development for um, more effective medications with better targets. I think the sketamine is just one example. But when I think about our antipsychotics, when I think about our mood stabilizers, and with the exception of esketamine, I think that there really haven't been novel advances. Um, and of our traditional agents, they're generally maybe at best 50% effective, right? And so um, so I think we just need more funding for research um, to do this, as well as not just the novel medications, but I think to build the better novel medications, you also have to have a better understanding of the pathophysiology. So even research just on the basic sciences area as well is just as important. So actually, uh, I want to ask, how, how can we as pharmacists kind of make an impact on, you know, uh, fighting for or like uh, being advocates for that yeah. change? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a good question. I, I mean, myself, I'm not necessarily in the research intensive like drug development of medications but i have we have a lot of pharmacy graduates who do go that route they either get their phd's or they get their fellowships and then work in the drug development and so i think that's obviously if we can in our curriculum foster sort of tracks for that not necessarily tracks but mm-hmm. you know just exposure to that and then if there was um, more fellowships that we're focusing on neuroscience i think would be really great i think on the practicing end um how we like you said just become advocates is when new treatments do arise, um, you know, both pharmacologic or even just other strategies. I think we as as the pharmacists um, are really good at understanding, interpreting the literature, I think better than a lot of our other <laughs> uh, members on the team. So I think, you know, we can help educate not just the providers, but also the patients and the family members of sort of these new, whatever these new um, strategies are, and then also having a good understanding of where it fits into practice. So just because it's new, it doesn't always mean it's the best. And so how do you evaluate that literature? How do you compare it to other options that are maybe more affordable, but less effective and balancing that? And I think that's, I think we as pharmacists do a really good job of considering all of those factors instead of just trying to like go to the new and best thing. Yeah. 
Definitely. So we also want to know, uh, for someone who has made it through both pharmacy <laughs> school and residency, what are your top three tips for pharmacy students? Top three tips. Okay. Um, so I think that the first tip, so I'm also a PY1 advisor for our, for you know, every year I try to advise a group of PY1s. And um, so I'll kind of think of it in that sense, because those are kind of initially incoming students. So I think one thing I try to always tell my mentees is that to take your time to start developing where your interests are and not don't worry and feel this pressure to try to figure that out in your first year. I think that's one of the first things that I see is when students are starting to struggle with the time management because they try to throw themselves into everything in that first year because they think that's what they have to do and they have to figure out exactly what they want to do that first year. And I just want to say that, you know, to take your time, take your time to, to meet with a lot of faculty, meet with your preceptors, meet with other, you know, upper level students to get a better understanding of like why they chose career paths or the interests that they're, that they're in. Um, and that, you know, to just think about how you're going to continue to be exposed to more as the curriculum progresses. So you don't have to necessarily like come out of the gate, you know, full blast and burning out in that first year is because I'm all about well-being, too. So I think another tip kind of related to that is um, especially when I think about incoming students and first year students is, you know, when you think about co-curricular um, activities in the school. And it's important to be involved, but it's, I think it's always better to think more about quality versus quantity, right? And so, um, you know, maybe in your first year, you try out a couple of different organizations just so you kind of start developing your interests. But once you kind of hone in on what you think your interests are, I, <clears throat> I personally think it's better to do more and be more heavily involved in a few things you're really passionate about than just being minimally involved in several things, because that really doesn't do much for you professionally. Um, and it won't help you as much in the long run. So that's the second tip I have. And I think the third tip is more just around, you know, um, developing very early on good coping strategies, right? <laughs> because it's a rigorous program and you have other stressors, <clears throat> external stressors. And so um, I think now is the time. Don't wait till it's too late. You know, now is the time to be thinking about, you know, taking time for yourself, you know, outside of school and knowing your triggers and <clears throat> knowing your support systems as well. And I think a, a kind of a one that we all tend to get lost in, admittedly myself too, is just kind of keeping it all in perspective so that even if an outcome happens, that's not necessarily the outcome that you wanted, that having that perspective of, there's always still something to be learned and gained, even from a negative experience, right? And so just always try to think about reflecting and thinking about how or what you could have done differently and how you can grow from that so that you can improve your chances for a more positive outcome later. So um, those would be my three, more than three tips, but I lumped it into three tips. So I wish someone told me that when I first started pharmacy school. I did a lot of trial and error to get to that place. <laughs> Right. I feel like I want that last tip kind of written on a poster yeah. and like put it up in my room so I can wake up every morning. It's like, yes. Keep it in perspective. Keep yes. it in perspective. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Harris, I think we've saved the best and, uh, and arguably the most difficult question for last. So if you could be any psychiatric medication, what would you be and why? Okay. So this was a tough question, I think, too, um, because I think a lot of our psychiatric medications have a lot of pros, but they have a lot of cons, too. They have a lot of side effects. But from but if I really had to think about one, I probably would pick something that was uh, dependable and has shown 
sustained effectiveness over a long period of time. So I think about sort of our gold standard medications, maybe even something for bipolar disorder. So maybe something like lithium because it's, you know, our tried and true and has been effective for many, many years and is still first line, right? Um, but I also think about, you know, lithium, how it works. It works usually better in combination with other medications. So when I think about my work at Cafic, I think about I like to work well. I work well with others and I like to collaborate. And then even just sort of the the purpose of lithium, it's to keep people calm and to improve people's moods. And I think that reflects my personality. And I think you guys know that too. So I guess if I had to pick one, I'd pick something like that. Well, I feel like we, we could all be lithium you know, or yeah. <laughs> use a little lithium. That's a really good, well thought out <laughs> yeah. answer. I, I feel like Michelle and I were discussing this before and we were. Ed came up with good answers. I don't know if you want to share it, but I support it if you do. <laughs> Maybe that could be a, a, yeah, another podcast. Like a, yeah. tune, tune in later to find Ed's two, not just one, but two psychiatric medication that he would potentially be. <laughs> well, um, Anyways, uh, Dr. Harris, thank you so much again for coming along or coming on and um, allowing us to pick your brain a little bit. We really, really appreciate your time. Michelle and I have really enjoyed uh, interviewing you and we're sure the audience has enjoyed listening in as well. Do you have any uh, final words for our audience before we close up? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you again for inviting me to um, share any perspectives that I can shed on to incoming students as well as yourselves. And for you guys, I just wish you the best of luck in your upcoming year and finals, too. So <laughs> that. Right. <laughs> thank you so much, thank Dr. Harris. So much. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for listening in. You can find this podcast and other episodes, as well as other great educational resources on the virtual Pharmacopedia website with your UNC onion and password at bit.ly slash virtual farm. That's bit.ly slash virtual P-H-A-R-M.